Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I would love if you would turn to John chapter 4. Last week, obviously, Easter weekend, Resurrection Sunday, we did some talking about an incredible exchange between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus in John 3. This weekend, we're going to talk about another incredible exchange between Jesus and a human. And in John chapter 4, it is the account of the woman at the well. And I, I want to share this message with you. I don't really want to preach it. I just want to share it with you because the burden I feel is very, very specific. This message really isn't about you. It does involve you, but the burden isn't for you. The burden of this message is someone in your life who's in a really dark place or in a lot of pain right now. They're hurting immensely and they desperately need the God of the universe to enlist you to step into a holy moment that involves them. And so the title of this message is Asking for a Friend. Asking for a Friend. I want to ask you a couple of questions on behalf of this friend. Because they're not here right now, but I am. And the God of the universe made sure that I got a burden this last week for them. And so I just want to share with you on behalf of them. On assignment from him. Part of where this message came from, just to bring you up to speed a little bit with what's going on with us, I don't want to share too much about it because this is the service that's going to go online. Uh, but three years ago, we were asked, many of you know my wife oversees a ministry here called Embrace Grace, where we uh, walk alongside and work with brave, courageous young women who get pregnant. They weren't planning on it. And one of the babies that was born uh, three years ago, we got a call that some stuff was going down and a mom asked us to step in and, and care for her son. And we did that for nearly a year. And then right before COVID, he went back to mom. And then almost two weeks ago, we got a call from the state asking if we would help again and that it was going to be longer this time. And so it, it may be a couple of years. And so we're signing up for that. But I tell you this. Uh, not to bring any attention to Holly or to me. Let me tell you, we have some amazing humans in this church who are caring for little boys and little girls of various ages on behalf of the God of the universe. And out of, I, I, I can't tell you, I, I don't have the words to describe how grateful I am that they call this church home because it's an amazing thing to care for a child as though they were yours. And we have foster families, we have families who have adopted, we have some incredible stories in our church. So no way, shape, or form am I trying to bring attention. I simply want, let's be real, church people are nosy, okay? So when you see me playing from now on for a long while, playing with a three-year-old out in the lobby, and you're trying to get my attention, just cut me a little bit of slack here in the beginning, okay? Uh, because mom might need a little bit of help, and I'm, I'm stepping in to help. Uh, he was running around on the stage in the 9 o'clock service. So uh, it's, a, it's a fun time. I'm just giving you a heads up. And that's 
a big part of where this conversation between the Lord and myself has happened uh, this last week as a result of uh, this little boy coming back into our home. John chapter 4 is such a powerful human exchange on one end, but also divine exchange on the other end. And I just want to set before you, this is what we're called to do. What Jesus did with the woman at the well is what every follower of Jesus is called to do. John chapter 4 verse 3 starts off like this. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He actually didn't have to. There were two other paths he could have traveled, but he chose to go this way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And we'll come back to why this time is important. About noontime, the heat of the day. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Question number one, I would like to ask you on behalf of your friend. And hopefully you're taking notes and you'll write this down. Will you slow down for me? I get you're in a hurry and you have a lot of important stuff to do in this season of your life. But I would like to remind you on behalf of your friend that your friend is just as important because apparently Jesus died for him or her too. Your friend wants to know. Am I important enough to you to slow down everything going on with you? We run a really fast pace. And those of us who are a little bit more ambitious and driven, we run way too fast of a pace. It's almost like some of us think we were born to see how fast this car can go. Let me just tell you, one of the things I'm learning, I'm now a middle-aged man, one of the things I'm learning in my middle-aged years is the winner of God's race is never the one who runs the fastest pace. You wanna know who wins God's race? The one who runs at his pace. The fastest way to shipwreck a follower of Jesus Christ is to get them to run faster than the one they're following. And we call it ambition. We call it impressive. And God looks at it and says, why? What are you trying to prove, Preston? Who who told you that if you run faster and accomplish more things that I don't ask you for, that you're winning the race I set before you? Preston, the only way you can win this race, quote unquote, is to stay in step with my spirit. There is no other way. And yet, we make excuses for how fast we are running. And the world is making it easier to run faster. Used to, if you liked TV and you liked a particular show, you could only watch it once a week. Then came TiVo, you could record it, you could catch up on it. And then came Netflix, where you can watch 17 seasons of a show in one week of quarantine. I know why y'all don't want to go back to the office. The world's making it easier to run fast. It doesn't make it right. 
My best friend and I, Tim Ross, we've been teaching this principle about the methodology of ministry that Jesus walked in those three years on the earth. We've been doing this for about 15 years, and the phrase we use is, Jesus never ran anywhere. Here's why. Because if Jesus would have run anywhere, no human could have kept up with him. And so he would seemingly divert to a city like Sicker. That's how Texans say Sicker. Sicker. He would divert. And people wonder why he's going through a Samaritan village. Here was his why. One woman at one well. And he didn't ride a chariot there. He walked. Because if he sprinted where he was going, he would have missed out on holy moments with the ones he came to die for. Yet we, as his followers, have somehow become convinced that sprinting is more spiritual. Jesus never ran anywhere. Are you sprinting? Are you rewarding your sprinting? How many holy moments are you running past? Am I running past on a weekly basis? One of the best ways I've found to slow down spiritually is prayer. Prayer is the spiritual act of embracing God's pace. I have this ring on my finger that Holly bought for me. Uh, it, it, it's, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it tracks my heart rate. It's like some smart ring, okay? Tracks my heart rate, tracks my sleep, and I, I've had it for a couple of months now, and so I, I watch throughout my day in my meetings. If you don't want to know what stresses you out, don't buy this ring, okay? Because you can't lie to yourself when you see that in a particular meeting, your heart rate spiked, and it spikes every time you meet with that person. Don't, don't do it, okay? Don't buy this ring, all right? But it tracks my sleep, and it's learned what my heart rate, once I get to the deepest part of sleep, it's learned what my heart rate is at that place. And I've told you, we, we have made a little closet back here in my office uh, into a prayer room. And so it's, it's enabled me to have a very specific place where the only thing I do is spend time alone with the God of the universe. And, and it's enabled me some days, uh, there have been some Saturdays where just some, some really lengthy time has been spent. And a funny thing happened a couple weeks ago. I, I was a couple hours in and, and I got a notification on my phone. And it said, did you take a nap? I was like, no, I didn't. Oh, wait a minute. Is that what happens when I slow down to his pace? It's like my body thinks I'm sleeping. Is this why Jesus said to his disciples after long stretches of ministry, let's get away and rest? He wasn't talking about sleeping, was he? He was talking about getting away and making sure we got back to the same pace. If you've been in this church for a while, you've heard me say some of my favorite words in the Bible are when Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that the Son of God would love to be in partnership with us and do what we do together as the Spirit of God leads us. I can't wrap my mind around that. But here's what we have to be reminded of. If Jesus never runs anywhere then anytime I'm running somewhere, I'm ahead of him.
and I'm gonna miss something or I'm gonna mess up something. Better to arrive with him and appear late than get there early all alone. Yet we sprint and we run and we run past so many men and women at the well whom Jesus is desiring a holy moment with. Prayer is God's way of constantly slowing me down when I'm consistently moving too fast. I'm not trying to come down on you because you haven't spent much time lately in prayer. Please, this is not to judge. It's just to help remind you part of the purpose of prayer. It isn't just to speak to you. It's also to slow you down. Asking on behalf of a friend. Am I important enough for you to slow down for? Is my city off the beaten path important enough because it's mine for you to stop at my desk in the middle of the busiest day of your week? Will you slow down for me? Now, Thursday night, question number two was, will you be present for me? But I felt this morning the Lord take us a little bit in a different direction. So I'm going to move to, to question number three, which for this will be question number two. Can you handle my mess? I'm asking on behalf of a friend who's in a bit of a messy season. And you don't fully understand that they're judging themselves by their mess. And when you judge and turn your nose up at their mess, they feel like you're judging them and turning your nose up at them. Can you handle my mess? Not can you fix it? They want to know, am I repulsive to you because of my mess? With little man coming back to our house, uh, he's three and a half. And... I'm not going to go too far with this graphically, but I haven't wiped a bottom in 13 years. Okay? I'm just going to say it like that. What would it be like if now a three-and-a-half-year-old is back in our house and left to himself, uh, we all know what three-year-olds do. Most of them don't wipe very well, especially the boys. And uh, if we let them do their thing, it's just going to create pain, rash. And so we help. What would it be like? If little man comes in and I've got two teenage boys still at the house and he says, dad, come wipe, please. And I walk into the bathroom. I'm like, bro, what is your problem? Look at these two. They're wiping. What's wrong with you? Bro, look at how messy this is. You got it all over the toilet seat. What's wrong with you? Here's one of my concerns about the church. We make people in the middle of a mess feel like they are too screwed up for the love of God. One of the best things I ever heard Pastor Robert say, runners run, swimmers swim, sinners sin. I'm not advocating sin. Please hear my heart. Neither was Jesus when he stopped with the woman at the well. I expected the three and a half year, year old little boy to bring some messes. And so when they happen, nobody freaks out about it. It's just what comes with humanity. A little bit of a mess every once in a while. 
The church cannot become so sterile a place that only those willing to pretend to be perfect can receive ministry and care. Jesus went to the well. And she was messy. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. Think if this would have happened in this day and time, in the era of social media. Let's just read about the woman's mess. It's a bit of a complicated situation. John chapter 4, verse 15. Jesus is talking about living water. She says, please give me some of this water and I'll never have to come back here again. Verse 16, Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. This is a complicated situation. There's some pain here. It's a mess. I want you just to think about how possibly some of the other wives in Sikhar were talking about, we'll just call her Sally. Whatever you do, do not leave your husband alone with Sally. Sally likes men. And you know her favorite kind of man? Yours. Don't let Sally be alone with your man. Jesus stops at the well. And I wonder if at some point the woman got so caught up in the moment because Jesus tells her, there's a little Bible trivia, who was the first person Jesus says, I am the Messiah to, the woman at the well. He told her who, she, who he was. And I wonder if she didn't just get up and go embrace him. And imagine if it was in this day and time and someone comes by with a cell phone in this era of cancel culture and social media and starts videoing and captions. Look at Jesus holding on a little bit too long with sexual Sally. Wonder what else they're doing. We know this is what happens. And now we're to a place where people get canceled over somebody else's false narrative about them. Somebody's just videoing Jesus. He was called a drunkard. Want to know why? Because some people saw him sit down at a table for extended periods of time with people he came to die for. And he ate food with them. That's why they called him a glutton because he did it a lot. And a drunkard, because he'd sit down and have a glass of wine with him. And he did it a lot. And I'm not talking about a lot of wine. I'm talking about he did this many, 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 many times. Imagine if there would have been a cell phone. That's essentially what had happened. He's a glutton. He's out of control. And he's a drunkard. They never saw him drunk once. They just saw him take a drink. They called him a drunkard. Imagine what they would have said if they had had a cell phone with the woman at the well. I'm just asking on behalf of your friend, can you handle my mess? Can you handle my four o'clock calls in the middle of the night? When I'm on something? Can you handle my mess? I remember... One of the toughest challenges I had with one of my friends, I've told the story, uh, Pat. 
he's kind of like the Lazarus in my life. I didn't think he would ever come to life. And he did. But I remember one time we were in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And we were at a, an Oklahoma State game. And after the game, we went to this uh, bar that's famous there in Stillwater. And the offensive coordinator was having dinner with us. It was Pat, the OC, and me. And at this restaurant, they have cups that have the logo. And that's what all the beer comes in. And these guys, I wasn't drinking that night because I knew what was going to go down. They start stacking cups. They have over 40 cups between the two of them by the end of the night. And we're in Stillwater, Oklahoma, a couple hours away from the quite famous mega church I was working for at the time. Where everybody in the Southwest, everybody somewhere, somebody somewhere knows Robert Morrison Gateway Church. Sees you on TV. I'm sitting there wrestling. What if someone isn't just watching this, but they're recording it? I wasn't even drinking. But my two friends were highly inebriated. And I'm wrestling. We were there for hours. And it was painful at times. At the end of the dinner, the OC says, Preacher! That's what they called me. Preacher! Shoot straight with me. Do you really think God can save a man like PC? And I'm convinced by the divine, slightly sarcastic unction of the Holy Spirit. I said, well, if I don't, I'm probably in the wrong line of work, don't you think? And they start busting out laughing. They've never forgotten that moment. Didn't even seem like that big of a deal. It was one of the messier nights I had experienced at that point. I don't advocate drunkenness because the Bible says it's wrong. Please hear my heart. But we're not talking about the drunkenness. Drowning people drown. And I was trying to be there to help rescue. Some of you I know might have a problem with this story. And I need you to understand, I don't think that that's between you and me. I think that's between you and the Lord. My heart was pure. I wasn't doing anything wrong. But looking back, I think my friend was testing me. And he did it multiple times. I'm going to make a mess just to see how you handle it. And he made a doozy that night. And I tried to help keep it from getting worse. Can you handle my mess? Your friend wants to know. Let me just tell you one of the best compliments. Here's a one-liner for you. The healthier you are, the more qualified you are to get involved in the messes of others. If God asks you to get involved in somebody else's mess, take it as a divine compliment. He's literally saying, you can handle this. Preston, you can handle this. This is going to be messy. Why do you think we've been spending this kind of time together? Because I'm about to withdraw from the account. Why do you think I've had you in a healthy place physically, more healthy than you've been possibly ever, because you're about to be chasing a three-year-old around and you don't even know it? Preston, there's a mess coming. The boy isn't the mess. 
And I would never see it that way. But with a hurting human comes a little bit of a mess every once in a while. I'm not lowering the bar for salvation. Please don't try and put words in my mouth. But if that's how you're thinking right now, I just want to lovingly remind you, you're messy too. And if you don't think you are, then what's the point of Jesus? I'm not trying to come at you. I'm actually trying to hopefully inspire you to start seeking out the well a little bit more. We're two years into a worldwide pandemic. We have pain and hurt everywhere. We have men and women at the well all around us. But if we're sprinting through life, making accomplishments and achievements and assets, most important, we're gonna miss holy moments with men and women at the well. And if we, like Pharisees, are more concerned about the public narrative about ourselves than what is actually going on inside of us, which God knows completely, front to back. He knows my heart. We're never gonna have holy moments at the well. You know what, this next 25 years of my life, I kinda want things to get a little messier. I do. And part of me, that's scary to say out loud. But one of the ways you know you're getting healthier is when a mess doesn't scare you. You can handle it. Some of you have convinced yourself, well, it's just not the right time. I, I can't handle my friend. You, you, some of you know exactly who the Holy Spirit has been pointing out for months and months and months. That woman has been at the well waiting for you. But for whatever reason, you've convinced yourself you don't have the time, you don't have the energy or bandwidth. And Jesus is saying, you have me. You have me, which means you have more than you need. And I want to do it together. There are times when on date night, I say to my wife, hey, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? And like this last time, she's like, I want to go have Indian food. I'm like, great. How many times do you think about starting your day with Jesus and saying, what do you want to do today? Just like on date night. And he says, oh, there's this well I've been watching. Oh, oh, there's some water going to flow there. That's where I want to go today. I want to go to the well and I want you to go with me. I want to do this together. It's going to be messy, Preston. But I'm the God who redeems. Don't be intimidated by a mess. That's exactly what Satan would want. It's for broken men and women who don't know Jesus, who are in messy situations. Satan would love it if the church would go, sorry, can't come till you're clean. Here's the third question, and that's a quick and easy one, and it's not on behalf of your friend. It's on behalf of your other friend, capital F. Question number three, will you do this for me? 
The disciples come back. I'm not going to read it. I'll, I'll just give you my summary. The disciples come back after getting some food. This woman has, has begun sharing her story. People are flocking to Jesus. He decides to stay two more days. The disciples say, you got to get something to eat. You, you look famished. And Jesus says, I have food. You don't understand. My nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father. Jesus said, I get filled up when the Father asks me to do something, like divert through Sychar in the middle of the day. This woman knew she was messy, by the way, because she was getting water in the middle of the day. In those times, women would draw water at the end of the day because it wasn't in the heat of the day. She was in the middle of the day. Theologians believe she knew she was ostracized. She was keeping her distance from the people who were keeping their distance from her. And that's why Jesus strategically positioned himself where she would be. Jesus says to his disciples, I love it when my father asks me to do something. I am filled up. I am nourished when he asks me to do something for him. And I get the opportunity to do it. It fills me up. That's the opposite of an annoyance. Frustrated that I don't have time, I don't have the energy. Jesus never acted like that. I'm asking on behalf of your other friend, the God of the universe. Will you do this for me? My mom and I went to a movie last Sunday night and I, I was washing my hands in the bathroom after the movie and I, I felt the Lord say these exact words. Would you do this for me? This isn't just about the baby. You tell me all the time, I'll give you whatever you ask for. And I'm asking for something. And it isn't gonna be cheap. I'm not asking you to do this for the boy. I'm asking you to do this for me. Jesus said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. It's not just about them. You're doing it for me. And this is why we must slow down our everyday lives. Get in step with the pace of Jesus so that we can encounter the people Jesus died for in holy moments. What's a holy moment? A moment that involves a human or humans, which God steps into. The woman at the well got a holy moment and she ran away telling everybody about the Messiah. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We're not called to appreciate him. We're called to be just like him. And that therefore means we better, from time to time, find ourselves at the well. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.